Welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. This is an MCU podcast. This is episode 39. It is She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, season one. Maybe the only season, probably not. I assume it's getting a second one. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you doing? I'm alright. I, I watched all of She-Hulk in, in a one day. sitting. Yeah, see, let's just front load this. I think I'm probably higher than on this than most people anyone will know. And I would never recommend to do that. That would make me turn on the show completely. So, I, I did decide uh-huh. to kind of go through Letterbox and see what the run times were for all the, the TV shows. And it yeah. seems like all of them are kind of about 300 minutes, apart from WandaVision and She-Hulk, kind of like got to about 320, 340 kind of level. And part of me is wondering, like, is that because of like the obnoxiously long end credits in every single episode? And are all mm. of these shows actually about the same length yeah because they, I, they I do like... have like five minute plus end credits on a tv show yes um which is like madness. every episode is about 10 minutes shorter than the, the advertised <laughs> runtime is yeah yeah that is definitely a weird problem that you want to credit people that do the work but like <laughs> come on <laughs> they're all in that kind of four to six hours kind of level where like I don't think they really do hour-long episodes. Even are they hour-long? Or they they feel like they're more like forty minutes for a lot of the the six episodes. Yeah, I, I feel like One Division had a super long one that was like over an hour, but like most or maybe one of them, I feel like it went over an hour on one of them, and all the rest were shorter. But maybe I'm maybe yeah, I'm just and wrong a lot on that. a lot of these episodes of She Hulk are definitely kind of like they come in and they're like thirty-three minutes long, and it's like oh, okay, like. But aren't they like actually like twenty-two minute episodes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the one that is closest out of all the Marvel shows, apart from One Division, to being like mm. structured like a normal TV show. And I think that is what we're going to spend a lot of time discussing: is that there is a show in this <laughs> in this show that wants to get out and be like a normal traditional network sitcom, yes. and it is entirely beholden to the MCU. Yes. And I feel like the final episode which is a big meta commentary on trying to be a normal TV show when MCU stuff starts happening, mm. would have been better served if that was the narrative going along throughout. And it's kind of the the main crux of the issue with this entire show is like, it never quite figures out what lane it wants to be in. Yeah. And yeah. It, like a show about struggling to find its lane would have kind of probably like, underlined a lot of the stuff going on it and made it a lot more palatable than what ended up on screen. I mean, to me, it feels like they they spent eight weeks setting up a giant meta joke for the finale, but it made all of the individual episodes worse for it, and it's like, we're deliberately hurting ourselves just so we can do a huge dunk on Marvel fans, and like, absolutely dunk on Marvel fans. Like, many of the comments directed at screen and like, you know, her like, looking to camera Everyone and say... Well, like, yeah, yeah. Give us Twitter armor for a week. See, the irony of that was it made me like hate them for saying that. <laughs> like, like it gave them the opposite of Twitter armor. No, like when they set up Daredevil in episode five and then episode six, she's like, "Yeah, well, sometimes you don't get what you want," kind of thing. And like, yeah, Marvel fans can be very self entitled little man babies, and I'm fine with them being dunked on. The problem is, like, was it worth spending? eight weeks doing that for a finale that, like, for some people they fucking loved it. And, like, again, I'm generally higher on the show than most people. I didn't really like the finale that much. I think it was, like, it, like, binged. It, like, went overboard in all the stuff that it was doing here and there throughout. And it just felt like such a a whiplash. Because, like, 
something as simple as looking to camera. You know, obviously to some people, you're stealing Deadpool's shtick, even though she was doing it eight years before him. They do it like... I think, I think he... Yeah, here it's a lot worse, though, because there has been another television show playing in, like, the exact well, same lane yeah. that She-Hulk is playing They've in. They've again evoked a sacred text, um, <laughs> just as Moon Knight is like, yeah, we're really influenced by the leftovers. That um, Yeah, She-Hulk writers were dropping the name Fleabag, and, like, I can see a world where you're making Marvel-ified Fleabag with Jen really struggling with her personal identity and, like, you know, for them to front-load something like, huh, Hulk is like a repressed personality, but Jen maintains her entire personality and, and like is completely in control. You could definitely do a thing where it's like, is that true? Is she Hulk actually like creeping in with some other behaviors and like she's struggling to find herself and you know th- you could do that. But then <laughs> they don't after like they will have her break the fourth wall at the beginning of an episode and then go like ten straight minutes without her doing it again, and then she'll do it and you'll be like, Oh yeah, she can talk to camera. Um, I feel like she does it a lot more later on in the season. She does, like, and in the are, finale, she's like almost exclusively talking to camera, and that's that's sort yes. of what I'm getting at is that like they kind of, I mean, they have this problem in general where they like get distracted and go off in a different direction for two to three episodes each show, and it's even more frustrating they do it here because they had no need to do it because it should be an episode of the week type deal, and they tell you. That's what it is. Like, it's not that kind of show. This is a legal show. This is not blah, 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 blah. But then they make it one of those anyway. They're like, oh, it's not about cameos. And it's like, okay, well, here's Wong. Here's Blonsky. Here's Daredevil. <laughs> like, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, exactly. Like The first three episodes, it's literally, here's Bruce. Second episode is, here's Blonsky. Third episode is, here's Wong and Blonsky. Fourth episode is, here's Wong solo Again. kind of thing yeah. <laughs> uh and then five is the first time that they kind of get away from having a cameo from someone who isn't from within the mcu but mm. that episode ends with the daredevil tease yes. so yeah it, it exactly like, so it, it's like i again in if they wrote this better <laughs> i i can get on board with like softly poking at what Marvel has become. And, like, they, they are going overboard at the end and, like, calling out out loud all of their bad habits and, like, how bad they are at endings and, oh, the CGI people are working on Wakanda forever now, so Jen has to transform off screen and stuff. You know, that should all work, but it doesn't for me because... It's... Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to be too many things and, like, pick one. Like, be a legal show, be Fleabag, be a generic MCU thing. If You, you probably is, you would can, have been better if you did that than like, yeah, you trying to be all through. a lot of these things at once. I think the biggest pitfall of this show is, like, I mean, when we were talking about it when it was airing, like, the first episode is very obviously uh, kind of a concept pilot idea, yeah. like, in terms of, like, here is the origin for, for She-Hulk, and there's very little actual time spent in the courtroom. Yeah. And, like, it's literally the five minutes at the end of the episode with, with Titania. Yeah, like self-contained out, but... prologue, here's her origin story, here's her learning how to do her powers, we've got it out of the way, and now from episode two onwards, she just is the She-Hulk and we can get moving, and then they pilot again, because this wasn't yes, supposed but... to be the pilot. No, yeah, it was supposed to be episode eight, it was supposed to be the episode before the finale, which is why the first shot of Bruce in, I can't remember now if it's episode two or episode three, is like a panning shot up Hulk's arm, yeah. and like, look, here's Hulk, and it's yeah. like, okay, but we've done an entire episode with Hulk, why are we getting this kind of like big reveal-ish moment that ends with him on a spaceship like yeah. but the thing is i can't it, even actually imagine them putting that episode near the like i i get why they moved it it's just that it then impacts the pacing because yeah you go two weeks in a row of pilot 
and you're on episode three before you're doing like a normal one and like you know maybe if they dropped episodes one and two on the same week it would have had less of a an impact but like i do think with tv there is a mounting kind of like your sort of sins are magnified a bit whereas if it was a movie Mm. it's like eh, there was a 20 minute stretch where it wasn't as good but then it really got going I hate to to raise this person's name, but Joss Whedon said back when he was making Dollhouse yeah. that when you're making network television, you have to make the pilot six times, essentially, to, mm-hmm. to make sure you've kind of got people up to speed. Yep. And that was an idea his show's worked with. And obviously, episode six of Dollhouse is one of the better episodes of that first season of that show. It's not a, a great season mm-hmm. of television, but like it very much is. You kind of have to establish a concept over and over again. Yeah. And obviously, that's changed with streaming. In yeah. terms of the fact that there is an expectation, like over the last 10, 15 years, it feels like all shows have become more serialized. And the expectation is that you're not going to get people dropping in randomly in episode three or four, especially now in this era of streaming where it's a conscious choice that you have to make to watch a show. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, the basketball's finished, what's on the other channel? <laughs> kind of like, like as, yeah. as would probably happen back in the day. And so that leaves us in this kind of like weird state of, state of mind where like this show seems like it's got a really great setup to actually be a legal show, as we've said. Yeah. Like, I think a cast of Tatiana Maslany, Ginger Gazanga, Josh Segera, like, is a really good base. And then, obviously, uh, sorry, oh. Renee Ely Spielberg yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Like, it's <laughs> a really that good base. That should be base. a great for, like, foursome. And then, like, their boss, I thought, was quite good as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, that's the thing. It's like, you make this a tight five-episode thing with guest stars from the MCU every so often. Yeah. And, like, oh, cool, we're, we're kind of cooking with something here. Yeah. And then... You, watch the show itself and like you've got like a star of hamilton yes and she she appears before episode five but she doesn't do anything mean meaningful in the first four episodes and it's like that is unforgivable and like fucking um nikki and pug will either disappear entirely or barely do anything for episodes at a time and it's like Uh, yeah a real show would give all of them a storyline this week and, yes. and this doesn't have time for that because it's got to do inexplicable bullshit. And because obviously there is the joke uh, in like one episode that goes like, "Oh, tying the A and B plots together," and mm-hmm. it's like, "Yeah, like that—that that is what a show does." Like, <laughs> yeah. cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Someone it's is having a personal problem that is expounded by like their day job, pers- you know, some completely separate circumstance. And oh, look, dealing with that helped them deal with it personally, and we have grown as a character, and we move forward. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah. show has too many off-format episodes that yeah. don't have time for the supporting cast because we've got Tim Roth for an episode, we've got Benedict Wong for a couple yeah. of episodes, and it's just such a shame where it's like, I wish you guys had had the confidence to kind of like have this be a real show before you started, yeah. or or if you are going to just hold off on like doing back-to-back Wong and Blonsky mm. kind of thing, because I feel like it. That's, like I do think the platonic ideal of what the show looks like is episode four. Yes, I was going to say, I've, I've been waiting to say exactly that. Like, that is your proof of concept of what the show should be every single week. Not saying, you, I'm not saying, bring Madison and Wong in every single week. But just, here's her wacky case this week, and she's going to have to do some weird legal bullshit in the courtroom, and she's also going to have to go smash some weird stuff outside of the courtroom. And like, is that also the episode where she's, yeah, she's going on all the Tinder dates and... Yes. Yeah, like, and I'm not saying that stuff is, like, incredible, but, like, they did get some good, like, cringe date people in there, and I'm obviously not the first person to say it, but the most unrealistic thing in the whole show is nobody is interested in dating Jen as a normal person, because she's, like, adorable. (laughs) But yeah, like, four is them just having fun 
and like even like Donnie is like goofy and fun and like it's a good kind of evoking the wider MCU and making it feel lived in of like here's a douchebag magician who like spent a few months in Kamataj, kept his sling ring and is now using it for his shitty local like magic castle style <laughs> act and now yeah, Wong a is a bit pissed it's like cool that that is the perfect level of MCUification that I want in something yeah, it, like, like this again episode 3 is similar where it's like here is a big plot Mm-hmm. Which involves like Pug dealing with dealing with this case, and and then Jen is also dealing with an elf from New Asgard, and kind of like what that throws up, and it's like yeah, like that's the kind of level <laughs> you want the show to be pitched at, and then. But that is of course the episode that, so like you know I, we've gone a long time without even mentioning that like a huge number of deplorable human beings fucking hate everything this stands for, and you have. Megan the Stallion and She-Hulk twerking together in the end credits. By the by, like, not not a part of the main episode, just shoved into the end credits as a little joke, like, not a plot thing, but also, who gives a fuck? She's having fun. And, like, you know, the CGI looked a bit dodgy in the first trailers, and, like, for some people it's as simple as, like, and maybe this can transition us to Comic Corner, it's like, oh, there's a Lady Hulk now, you know, just obviously showing off their lack of knowledge of anything. But, yeah. And they do play with that, and, like, there's a lot of... Some of the, like, in-universe Twitter comments she gets are basically one-to-one with the stuff that is directed at Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, etc. Of, yeah, just incel bullshit. And then turning the intelligentsia into, like, an incel message board I thought was actually quite a fun thing to do. But as I said, um, you know, who is the She-Hulk, Benjamin? <laughs> yeah, there there are ideas in this show that feel really nice and it's just a shame that it never yeah. fully gets to commit to any of them or like commits to the ones that seem to be working which maybe it would with more episodes maybe mm-hmm. it would if like it'd been airing week to week as opposed to streaming so they were able to react to things going on but it's just it was this is that no but i more mean like the, the show is finished by the time uh mm. this show starts airing as opposed to uh, right, like, right, 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 right. Like, as opposed to back <laughs> in the day where it'd be like, you would be watching The Office, and The Office they're, writers they're would still be like... making episode 18 while you're watching one kind of thing. Exactly, and <laughs> yeah. if all of a sudden everyone kind of hates a character, and you go like, oh, right, this character isn't going to be a regular anymore, we'll, like, give them a graceful exit by the end of the season. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or however you want to, however you want to structure it. Mid-season but nine episodes, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, She-Hulk, created by Stanley and John Buscema, uh, debuts in The Savage She-Hulk in 1979. Uh, I feel like it's kind of like a combination of Marvel wants more female solo heroes around this period of time, uh, but they're also completely constrained to making the heroes be female versions of male heroes. Wasn't it like... So The Incredible Hulk, the TV show, which, by the way, they do an incredible, like, send-up of the opening credits towards the end. Um, Yes. That was, like, one of the most popular things on TV. It's, it's the and there was Hulk, word the Bionic that, Woman, and yeah. the Six Million Dollar Man are the three most popular shows on television. Yeah, and so and Marvel just decides as, to... Yeah, and just as the Bionic Woman, like, sort of is a, hey, Six Million Dollar Man, but lady, I think there was word that they were going to do a live-action She-Hulk that Marvel wouldn't own, so Marvel, like, no, 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 <laughs> we will establish <laughs> copyright. Um, in the same way I think they did Spider-Woman, who then has, like, nothing to do with Spider-Man, basically. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of a short-run series. Uh, it runs for 25 issues, and then pretty promptly She-Hulk kind of transitions into being an Avenger and an occasional ally-slash-member of the Fantastic Four. Yep. 
Uh, and that's kind of where she stays in her lane for about 10 years. And then in the late 80s, John Byrne, probably most famous for kind of like his work on the X-Men as one of the key collaborators with Chris Claremont. Uh, and later on going to, I think he he's the person behind like Superman reboots and Fantastic Four reboots and whatnot. He is the person that invents the... Uh, breaking the fourth wall persona in like yeah. 1989 he is the guy who created like Shad- like kitty pride emma frost sabertooth shadow king right. uh, a lot of those kind of like characters he's obviously the artist on dark phoenix um most famously and then he also created alpha flight is is his other kind of contribution <laughs> okay. to the x-men universe yeah but yeah the the john Byrne series is where the character starts to get its breaking the fourth wall stuff. This is obviously a few years before Deadpool debuts. Eight. It's a long time before Deadpool starts to break the fourth. Oh, eight, <laughs> eight years, years before he breaks the fourth wall, but yeah, a few years before he even appears, yeah. Because, yeah, Deadpool debuts in 1991, yeah. I think, or like early 90s is when yeah. he goes on to uh, debut. And he's just um, a generic, like, mercenary ninja man for, like, years. And, like, he's kind of shit for a while, and then the Deadpool everybody knows and has become almost bigger than Marvel in some respects. Um, I can't that remember which exist for a really long time. <laughs> there's one of the Marvel versus Capcom games which ends where, like, if you pick She-Hulk as a character or you pick Deadpool as a character, or whatever, it is it ends with if you beat Deadpool, then She-Hulk goes like, if this game were made like 30 years ago, I'd hit you. I'd be hitting you with the health bar kind of thing. <laughs> but obviously, She-Hulk only really retains the breaking the fourth wall stuff yeah. in her solo series. It kind of disappears um, until Dan Slott comes along in the mid-2000s and does a series about her. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like incredibly gracefully done. The first issue is literally She-Hulk is fucking too many dudes uh, mm. and Captain America's a bit sick of her, all the noisy sex she's having. So <laughs> you're no longer an Avenger. Is, is the yeah, there is... Yeah, and like David Goya said some like incredibly inflammatory things about She-Hulk that made me like not be interested in anything he has to say script-wise ever again, like <laughs> calling her like, well, what she really is is the incredible She-Slut or whatever. It's like, oh, come the fuck on, dude. Um, yeah, but She-Hulk has always been... She's one of those very early female characters in the Marvel universe that is do, it does stand on her own. She isn't an X-Man. She isn't a Fantastic Four member, well, apart from when she is, but... She's never a member of the Fantastic Four for long, or... Who is the team when she's on the Fantastic Four? Is it like Sue and Reed have gone away, and so they replace them with... I mean, there's oh. been many, like, you know, there's the Black, I'm just trying to remember. Black Panther and Storm, I no, think, were she, temporary she re- Yeah, she replaces Thing on the on the Fantastic Four uh-huh. after Secret Wars. So she is the, the kind of the big brute member. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's she's a like a, she, I feels like her lot of her career is in relation to other characters as yeah. opposed to standing think, on her own. I think she's a fun like plug and play team player. Like like she mm. she injects energy onto a team. Like if you're trying to build a new team book, I think it's never a bad call to throw her in. And that's why I am, despite what this show is, really excited that she's here in the MCU because you can toss her into any situation. Like if you need a heavy hitter who isn't like gonna get too mad and break the whole city there she is if you need to like deploy somebody to just be fun with a cast like here she is and like you know you can also have her be oh and i'm their lawyer kind of thing <laughs> but yeah she's, yeah, she's what just if... fun and like she enjoys being a superhero for the most part which is not the default mode because like the thing and spider-man as a one-two punch establish like and it's probably some of what marvel has built on the back of of like 
the powers are like a curse and like this has an impact on my personal life and she hold you know there are times where it isn't great for her but generally she's like yeah i'm a fucking nine foot tall adonis and i love it <laughs> like, yeah and, yeah, and she's I- like she hold most of the time as well she doesn't change yeah like she 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 does not change back to to jen all that often uh i really loved the charles saul javier polito um she hulk run from like 2014 which Mm. is a hell of a lot of fun because charles saul is a lawyer who also writes comic books on the side (laughs) uh, so he wrote daredevil as well and yeah yes Javier Polito is an artist probably best known for kind of like helping out on the Hawkeye run. But mm. I just remember there's like one one issue which is just entire like Charles Saul writing legalese in a yeah. in a case where Jen is going up against Tony Stark or something. And Hit him up for the fucking show. Somebody needed to know how to write legal scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. They got Zeb Wells instead. Yeah, who does deliver, in my opinion, the best episode. But we can talk about that later. But yeah. Yeah, um, so, so She-Hulk, she she bums around. She kind of like I, f- I feel like she's one of those characters who, because of her long stint on the Avengers, she that is kind of the the lane that she plays best in. But because she's had these solo runs that happen kind of like once a decade for about ten to twenty issues or so, yeah. she she does get to have this kind of like solo personality, which very much is I broke the fourth wall and I'm a more fun, stable version of the Hulk, as you said. Yeah, yeah, and like. I think she's just a ton of fun for artists to draw and like you know both in the like kind of gross like look at her giant tits and ass kind of thing but also just i think she's like really fun and sassy like jen bartel does incredible she hawks like really colorful really pop and yeah she's just good to toss into an event to put on a team and word is she's gonna be in captain america 4 and she's gonna be a core avenger and stuff and like i'm, I'm psyched for that i want to see no matter like how underwhelming the individual projects have been I am excited for a world where, like, Tatiana Maslany is talking to Simu Liu and uh, Iman Balani and maybe Florence Pugh one day. and You know, like, I, I want to see these human beings have scenes together and, and develop a team dynamic and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it feels like we're at the moment where the casting has never been stronger in some ways for a lot of <laughs> yeah. these projects. It's just the material has finally started to kind of, like, yeah. creak. And... Yeah. I don't think it also helps that a lot of these things are made in which these people don't get to be on screen and interact with each other. And so mm-hmm. I'm just dreading where you've got all these big actors and actresses cast in these two phases. Yeah. And will we actually get to see them together in Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars? Or will it be... Like Infinity War. But, I mean, you know, I prefer Infinity War to Endgame, but I do appreciate that Endgame is at least like... We took these eight characters away on a retreat and like filmed with them for a substantive amount of time, which is the preference like again don't like praising joss whedon but age of ultron for all of the bullshit that happens later in it he fucking nailed the like this is a team that goes on missions a lot and they party together kind of thing like that yeah. stuff has been missing for he, a very he long made, time <laughs> made a point to make sure that he could schedule all these acts at the same time or i guess at that point it's the schedule is less oppressive and because you're not getting people in for like two line cameos that can, they can do on a day on a green screen. It it takes some of the the power away from some of this. And hopefully the next time there's an Avengers movie, we'll get to see. Yeah. I mean, that that is definitely the fear. Like if we are, if the default for an Avengers movie now is like enormous sprawling whole universe is ending, we have to touch in with 60 different characters. I don't want that. I do want 
a story where it is kind of like the six of them are stranded in a location together and have to figure their shit out kind of thing. I just don't think I'm guess, going to get that. <laughs> I guess that's the worry, though, with like the idea that Captain America 4 might be a, a soft Avengers movie and Thunderbolts will be another kind of like big team-up movie. And it's mm. like, oh, you're trying to have your cake and eat it, where Avengers yeah. is purely for universe-ending threats and you mm. get the team side missions out of the way in yeah. what should be solo movies about characters or Thunderbolts shouldn't be a solo movie but like that cast is getting insane yeah, <laughs> at yeah, this yeah. point like I want like I mean obviously this doesn't feel exciting but I kind of want a more normal low stakes Avengers case kind of thing like I mean, kind of like them attacking Hydra at the beginning of Age of Ultron like that's like look at the team just being cool together and like you know hanging out in between and I don't want every time like the version where they just do a tighter script run on Ultron and aren't beholden to setting stuff up is probably the best Avengers movie, but yeah. unfortunately it's not. Um, and and it, you kind of see the issues here where it's like, I feel like every single show that we've covered is at its best when it's just letting the actors kind of be yes. together and and riff. And let, so she let your is comedy weapons just go. Like. Yeah, she hulks at its best when the characters are interacting. Miss Marvel is best when it's set in New Jersey and the characters are interacting. Hawkeye is best when it's just the two Hawkeyes kind of like bantering in in the in the apartment and stuff like that. Like Wonder Vision's obviously got like a deep bench of a cast and becomes worse when it's the 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 more MCU stuff starts to bleed in. Even the stuff outside of the the hex is really good with with Darcy and well yeah, uh, it, Wu. it's like the sword at large stuff versus. Yeah, it's at its best when it's Jimmy, Darcy, and Monica being like a fun trio together. Um, and yeah, just let actors go. Like that's that's what I want. Put the Avengers in a room and just write me a five-minute riffing scene where they're just arguing and joking and talking. Um, but yeah, which like... is why like one of the best scenes in this is Patty Guggenheim and Benedict Wong watching The Sopranos or watching TV together because <laughs> it's just Wongers. <laughs> Like, that's the thing. It's like it. I think these projects more recently have been more frustrating because when they occasionally remember how to be a functional version of a movie or a TV show or whatever, and you're like, oh, you do know how to do this, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, you're structured in such a way that has to be setting something up that has to be larger than life, that has to have cameos from these bigger people that can't be filmed all in one location or has to be filmed in like the volume or yeah. or how are you going to do it? And yeah, it's just it's getting frustrating when this show like there is a show in here i really want to watch and you you, you talked about how you know the episodes are shorter and i think that probably would be a good thing but like my experience in most of the episodes was it ended and i was like oh is that it then and that's not a great way to feel at the end of an episode and like i just can't escape the fact that like if you took those five minutes of fake out mcuification like the wrecking crew trying to mug her and that kind of stuff and just gave that to like now let's let nikki talk now let's go back to jen's family who will meet twice um you know if we if we put that time back into the cast and like the most frustrating one to me is fucking titania like she bursts through the courtroom wall in episode one like the fucking kool-aid man they cut frames seemingly to either get around this action scene was incomplete or bad or just like we really need to skirt in under a runtime so which is bullshit because you're on a streaming service and it just they do this really weird looking fight scene and then like she's like in like news crawls in episodes and stuff 
and then she doesn't appear again until is it the beginning of four i, I can't maybe the beginning of three um, i mean five is her big episode which is obviously yeah. the one where she's like trademark she hulk and so she appears like in oh, five the... is it that long okay yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, yeah like is, we never we never get an explanation of why she burst through that courtroom. And I think I've read somewhere that like they were trying to say she was like on a general rampage. And it's like, but her character you've gone for in this because again, Titania is a is a long running Marvel like if you want to call him like a C list villain, like a like a who can they just beat up low stakes kind of thing reliably, uh, and kind of She Hulk's nemesis. You've gone for like she's a super influencer is how they phrase it. And I think casting Jamila Jamil as that works and i think she knows exactly what she's riffing on and that's all good why would she just be rampaging into courtrooms for no reason and like i was convinced they were going to reveal that like the the law firm hired her to do that to make a scene so that they could poach she hulk away because like oh no one will you know no one will work with you now and like they were going to do a whole thing where the law firm were like a soft antagonist kind of thing um but they never do and it's just like how did this even start? And I like the idea of, like, they just keep crossing paths and She-Hulk keeps embarrassing her because I think, is that the slot comic or is that the, the Soul comic where, like, every time Titania tries to get one up on Jen, she ends up, you know, just getting the worst of it and, like, it's oh, like it, a one-sided it, nemesis kind of thing. <laughs> I, it, I think it's the slot comic because the slot comic is the biggest single influence yeah. over this in yes. its totality because that one is the one that is actually a legal procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Dan Slaw one is, like less overtly funny whereas the dance lot one is like explicitly a comedic yeah, comic yeah. book yeah but uh, but yeah, yeah. It, that's exactly i i mean i text you and i said does it make more sense if dennis who is like a former colleague at the da's office is the is the one who turns out to be hulking because as he it claims is in the show with her, he he you know he's he's got the thing for her and like she's like go fuck yourself yeah, she embarrasses him during a court during a court case to say like just how much of a sleaze he is, like in the in the one where he like he thought he was dating Megan the Stallion. Yeah. Like it feels like that's <laughs> an arc that actually kind of like pays off by the end of the season. Yeah, but instead it's John it's Bass just, doing his soft Bass. Elon Musk, his soft like you know. I do like, like them doing stuff like oh nobody's on my level with Wakandan shit right now and like doing the Wakanda forever stuff like. That's good douchebag shit, and I do like him as an actor. But yeah, probably it does, in terms of like, don't put down your toys and pick up new ones. Like, it probably does yes. make more thematic sense to make it Dennis, yeah. That's the thing is, I don't even mind if Phelps is like the one funding the intelligentsia because of the bad date or whatever it yeah, is. It just makes just... it makes more sense for the person at the centre of this to be someone with a pre-existing relationship to... Yeah jen in some way as opposed to a guy who went on one date with her who had already been plotting against her before they went on the date because the he wants to be a because what the date (laughs) yeah but the dates in episode four and the wrecking crews in episode three but then the wrecking crew stuff doesn't even cross over finally again with the intelligentsia stuff because obviously which which one is is it wrecker or Who's the member that goes of the, to the retreat? Crew? I think it is Rekka, yeah. 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 And it's like, I there's a lot of strands that, again, it's it, similar to Moonlight, a lot of strands that you've like thrown a lot of balls in the air and mm. you've caught like two of them, but one of the balls has like turned into a to a hammer whilst it's like flying <laughs> in the air or something like that. And it's like, I okay, like there's yeah. ideas here. I'm yeah. just wanting something more thematically cohesive that, again, as you said, 
doesn't pick up new toys halfway through playing with the old they, ones. They love to dump ingredients out on a table and then refuse to cook you a meal, basically. is, is my yeah. take on what Marvel has been like for the last like two years at this point. Coming up on three years. Like, hey, here's some ideas, but I don't know. Maybe this, maybe that. I don't know. <laughs> like... Remember this person from three episodes ago? Episodes ago? Oh, no, exactly. because you did a detour. Like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't mind if you have it like a nice like. Even if Titania is someone who is like jealous of Jen early on, Jen mm-hmm. becomes an influencer, and Titania's like losing face, and so she's continuously trying to like get back at Jen as like yeah. a, a second tier antagonist. Like, yeah. there's you've got enough with like the core six, and yes, you can bring in Mark Ruffalo. Yes, you can bring in Tim Roth. Yes, you can bring in Benedict Wong, mm-hmm. but they really do come in and steal the thunder of like who yeah. should be your regular cast. Yes. And and the episodes that work best are again the ones where like they are playing the fourth or fifth role where I mean again I Wong is probably the best served in the show in that he is never the focal point of the episodes that he is in. Mm. He always shows up quite late into the episodes and is kind of the the fourth or fifth most important person in like a storyline did work at a target though or wherever it was i can't remember he's got a profile they cast a shadow they did it to themselves the daredevil of it all like i don't think he's in the very first trailer but he's then in like every single teaser they are releasing profile like images of him they are talking about him charlie cox is doing press and like it shouldn't be that people spend every week like yeah whatever when's daredevil coming but like when the show isn't banging and also like you've teased him so heavily and then to leave him until the penultimate episode and he's incredible when he shows up Mm. we'll need a five minute conversation about that (laughs) but like i can't ever escape from the fact that they're they're being a little bit too cute when they're not in a position to do that like if i said high stepping into the end zone would you know what that means uh y- yes yeah I think so, so like so like a, a football player's got the ball he's running free and clear to the end zone he's going to get a touchdown there's no one within like 20 feet of him they start like running funny or like celebrating like as they're running like taking the piss it feels like they're doing that but not when they're well, free they're and open clear. it's when there's like fucking linebackers coming at them because like marvel in general and like some of this isn't their fault but marvel in general has has been in a very rough spot and, like, a lot of their good faith has gone out of the window. You know, the days of they can do no wrong and will overlook this, uh, a minor misstep very much in the rearview window. Yeah, we're, so for we're them to start, on the weekend, we're yeah. on the second weekend of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's box office, and it's looking like it's going to head into the steepest drop at the box office for a $100 million opening ever. Wow. And I think part of that is obviously MCU fatigue in general. Like, you mm. get a lot of butts in seats up front, um, but you're not getting those second wind of like casual people who are willing to go later on. But then I also think it's the the double edged sword of like Ant Man has always been yeah, the always... the franchise that never completely exploded. But then this is like the entree to what the plan is for five and six, mm. and you haven't got people there with this yeah. one. So it's it's a little bit worrying because like when Winter Soldier did this, when Civil War did this, those movies got big bumps over yeah. the over the previous movie yeah. essentially. And like in so... a world where the MCU is banging. And you do your his Daredevil's helmet, and then Jen's off to a wedding and she's making fun of like expectations. I'd be like, cool, nice, well done. But it isn't. And then they also don't deliver Daredevil the week after that, or possibly the week after. No, yeah, no, yeah. It's, so it's, it's so five. The wedding, and the wedding is eight. six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the wedding is six. The retreat is seven. Daredevil is eight. 
yeah and, and again, again i love the retreat i love daredevil um those two episodes and four which is like the sort of this should be your default setting for me though that's the trio and everything else is like a just homogenous blah where i can pick up moments i really like from all of like even the bad ones like i'm like yeah i like this little moment like i actually i mean it caught the same kind of heat that like what is grief if not blah 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 got but like her little rant about how she's always angry like and like you as a man wouldn't understand kind of thing like for as much heat as that got, I think they did frequently sort of write decent stuff in that vein that 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 does need saying, but just sometimes they, it's not quite to the degree they're not equipped to handle racism in Falcon and Winter Soldier, <laughs> but like with how much is going on, they're kind of hamstrung with not being able to tell that like truly feminist story, um, like the Fleabag version of the show, basically. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> There's so many places to go and talk. Like I feel like I mean, we've been talking about it for ages and we still have barely gotten into it. But so, like, so what do we think about the off-form episodes? Because obviously, just yeah. Jen is the the wedding episode where Jen goes to her old friend Lulu's wedding. Yeah. Uh, Lulu, obviously played by Parry Harrison, so a fun bit of like inclusive casting there. Yeah. Like, there's no absolutely no reference to to Parry Harrison being trans, which is yeah actually kind of lovely and refreshing in a, mm-hmm. in a thing released in 2022. Yes. And there is a B plot line with Mallory and Nikki kind of like mm. dealing with Mr. Immortal. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like it feels like, like again, it's the things where like they try to do it, but the, it just doesn't feel like a real TV doesn't show. Doesn't all the way there. Yeah. No. And, and like, I think, yeah, six and then seven is obviously the retreat, which again, I guess it's kind of like a legal case of the week, but it's also a sequel to episode three. And mm. it's completely, I don't think there's anything really with anyone apart from Jen. It's like, there's just no... a Jen episode. Like, yeah, like it's not something I would want them to do every week. Like it, it, I think it, it should serve as a once a season, we're just going to get a full Jen episode, like away from it all kind of thing. Um, but it's the fact that it comes immediately after the wedding, which is also Jen in her own little world, and with, yeah, like, she yeah. gets to see Titania and all the rest of it. But, like, yeah. the the back-to-back nature of that, you're like, okay... They, like, they have a definite seasonal structure problem, where, like, you know, you pilot twice, you do a, ki- a couple of cases of the week, you then do... So, like, five, which is mean green and straight poured into these jeans, it's just kind of, like... It's, like, a really lame follow-on from episode four, where, like... It's the same people she just went on dates with doing less funny courtroom testimony and like Nikki and Paga going to find a costume designer and like it's probably quite important that you establish where she got this fucking costume from. But like this sort of knockoff Avengers stuff for me, like kinda cringe, like doesn't land. It just feels like this sort of very floaty, unnecessary episode. That, everything like... is everything is kind of tying into two other episodes, yeah. and so you don't really have an episode which is like entirely on its own. Like Wong yeah. is here for two episodes. The costume maker is a little bit of an arc. Yeah. Like Titania is an arc in the episode. Like it yeah. really is. And having like, one, Wong in two two episodes in a row is is also like a problem. Like bring him in and then send him away and bring him back later would be my preference. Yeah, yeah. It just, Donnie, I, Donnie I just plays... would really want to re-edit and, and like mix around when stuff happens. And that is often my feeling with a lot of these Marvel shows, that like they feel like such a rush to get out and like they just didn't have time to really think it through and like Yeah. 
Um, I mean, even even episode eight, Ribbit and Ripper is like yeah. off format in a lot of ways. In that, yeah. like, but at least it has a courtroom scene. Like early on, there is a scene I, in a courtroom, yeah. but then like I, no, Jen I, I, uses I, it very quickly. I kind of think that Ribbit and Ripper is is mostly on for on what we would like the format to be. Like, I, I think it is too, but it's a there's a lot more time in the superhero stuff, and then there's the 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 season finale creeping in at the end where Jen is sat on the sofa going like, "Well, this episode already came to a very satisfying conclusion, <laughs> but we have to set up the finale." Yeah. So again, like, so you're smart enough to know what you're doing, but you're still doing it, kind of. Yeah, and I kind of like. Have its cake and eat I it. did kind of like what they did with that ending, um, even if it did feel like narratively satisfying to just have her have a very nice one night stand with Matt, and then she's just on cloud nine, and then you go to this very tonally different thing where they're kind of getting into revenge porn type stuff, where yeah, they're putting all this stuff on the screen and making her look like a monster kind of thing, and then it just kind of <laughs> is nothing after that, but. Yeah, it, it definitely has a, a a format issue where we just needed way more episodes and of the week I... and to spread out our off-format ones so that they, they serve as almost little breaks in arcs. Um, if you want to do arcs, I kind of don't want them to. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because Jessica Gow is Pickle someone who is... <laughs> she wrote Pickle Rick, is, is her kind of biggest credit going into this. Yeah. She was the executive story editor for, I think, just that season, or maybe a little bit longer than that. I can't remember what exactly mm. it was, but is obviously another big Rick and Morty writer yeah. coming into this. And she I, do has just, got... I do just find it really funny that the people that think Pickle Rick is the funniest fucking shit ever, and the people that hate She-Hulk are a circle, and she wrote both. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she's obviously got credits on like Silicon Valley. She came yeah. from Robot Chicken early uh, before that. She's yeah. obviously spent quite a few bit of time in like sketch and and comedic stuff and yeah. and short form. And I do wonder if is some of the issue with TV shows being written by people who used to be on Rick and Morty an issue of Rick and Morty doesn't have a set structure. Rick and Morty being an animated yeah. cartoon, yes, you get drilled into your head the the Dan Harmon story circle. Mm-hmm. And like how everything needs to come back in a single episode and stuff like that. But like you can go off into wildly different territory every single episode. There it's is kind of a sketch show almost. Like yeah. in some ways, it's 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 like twenty minute short form things that can go anywhere. But like can be an episode entirely set in a vat of acid or yeah. or however you want to do it. Like it doesn't have to be beholden to the rigors of television. And yeah. so we can do whatever we want to... as long as every now and then we deploy the sad, serious music and make people think <laughs> this is high art. And so you're, you're taking that writing concept, which isn't inherently bad, but mm. like when you're applying it to something which has got a rich tradition in television, like legal, drama legal comedy is something that is very well known to a lot of people yeah and like i i couldn't get away from somebody who worked on ali mcbeal must be fucking sitting around twiddling their thumbs go get them like exactly with the sitcoms with with wandavision like please stop doing an imitation of a thing without getting within a hundred miles of being anything like that thing like like if like they gave an interview where they said, we realised we didn't know how to write legal scenes. I was like, you couldn't... Batman could not torture that out of me on public record <laughs> if I was writing a legal show. <laughs> yeah, it's just maddening to me that, like... You know, I'm, you know, I couldn't write a courtroom drama, and I could easily say, like, you know, oh, I, I've, you know, I would love to work on Daredevil or something. But, like, 
I would assume somebody in the, like when you're building your writer's room, you're like, make sure we've got a couple of people that know what they're talking about legally. Yeah, and I, I've definitely seen some people say that that's the big issue with the show, is that the show has no idea how to write these scenes. But then, like, some of the best bits of the show are that. Like, the, the Jen and Matt flirting in episode eight <laughs> is genuinely a lot of fun when it's in the courtroom where she's just kind of going, like, I'm really feeling it for this guy, whilst mm. he's, like, completely ripping her argument to shreds and stuff like that. And it's like... How much of that yeah. is, like, the power of Daredevil, like, bursting into the room and everyone's watched Daredevil and can do, like... You can fake it for five minutes kind of thing. Um, but I also really appreciate, and I think now's the time for the Charlie, Charlie Cox chat, hello. Is, <laughs> is it's really nice to see this as a flip side of the character in Daredevil. Because yes. obviously we all know Daredevil is a real soapy sad... Uh, so- Real soppy sad stack of Catholic guilt yes. poured into like a really hot bag, and <laughs> and that is kind of like what the the traditional view of Daredevil is. It's what basically every single adaptation of Daredevil has been. It's what the Ben Affleck movie is. It's what the the 2015 series is. And in the run up to the 2015 series, obviously there's the uh, Mark Wade Daredevil series, which is explicitly like, yeah, Matt's depressed, but he's going to cover it up and be happy for once. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is the kind of tone that they're borrowing for for this. He's where... wearing sweaters that say, "I'm not Daredevil" and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> where like you're you're taking the fuckboy energy from when he's depressed, but applying it to the just really charismatic person that Matt Murdock can be, and kind of like the the parade of hot women that he tends to to find himself attached to. Yeah. But it also uses Charlie Cox really well because I feel like this is a corner of Charlie Cox that we haven't really seen since like Stardust. Yeah, he and like I I can understand like I did see people being like not my Daredevil kind of thing because it is such a radical difference and like my partner was like was he always like this and I'm like no that like it's there kind of thing like he is an outrageous flirt with it like he he basically fucks every single woman he meets whether he he intends to or not it just happens he's just such a good boy and like you know he's vulnerable and yeah. I do like, so obviously like the last time we saw Daredevil in Daredevil, very mild spoilers, things not good for him, but like, he was definitely not like this, and I think I do appreciate the notion that like, he's done with all of that, like all of the guilt, all of the like, morose motherfucker stuff, and like, I'm just gonna start trying to live a better, like more carefree life, and like, you know, I don't, I've never liked the yellow suit really and like i sort of really don't like it live action especially when he's in low light where it kind of looks like it's just brown but i get narratively hey i mean you know this but like somebody wore my suit and killed an awful lot of people i don't want to wear that one anymore kind of thing and also i know he's only visiting the west coast but it also feels like when in the comic he moved to san francisco i was like hey new me new coast just gonna try and seize life and yeah, he just shows up and he is just quippy and like I'm the I'm the experienced superhero here and you're not. And you know, they're also trying to put their own stamp on it by like, hey, we're not gonna do brutal, soft, the raid style brutal boxing matches. Like, he's gonna be a flippy boy. And that works because Daredevil is a very flippy boy. Like second. We to have Spider-Man. a CGI budget now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have outrageous chemistry. Like when when they are sitting on the like when they're like sitting on the rooftop after they've taken down um frogman or or (laughs) son of frogman however you want to read it it's just like outrageous like come the fuck on like they're definitely gonna (laughs) gonna bang and then they do 
And her little fucking face when she's just like, you can see she's decided she's going to sleep with him. And then how happy she is in the finale about like, oh yeah, and I'd like Matt back because I have needs <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, 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 I do really I'm love what really... he does here. Go on. Yeah, I, I think Charlie Cox is, is really, really good here. He kind of feels like the, the lowest stakes casting they had, or not mm. lowest stakes, but like when he was cast as Daredevil, it felt very much like a netflix level casting of the character mm-hmm. like we could have gone bigger but like we're, we're netflix we want to save a little bit of money on it yeah, there was there was uh, definitely some skepticism that like he's not a big enough star for marvel to keep him on the role and i, I think you always adopted that and, and like you're a charlie cox fan so i know you're not like hating on him in general but like i get what you're saying no. daredevil is a is a top tier marvel character and like they should probably cast a movie star and i'm i'm ecstatic they've kept him and I, but I am a little bit. I will confess, I am a little bit surprised they did. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, because when when he was on, when he was cast, obviously Stardust at that point was kind of eight years beforehand, and and Stardust was never like a huge hit. But like, it, it was. He is the second build on that movie, and he is on the poster. So like, that is kind of like the big credit he had. And then obviously he's got like he's in the first episode of Downton Abbey. He's a main role for like two seasons on Boardwalk Empire. So like he's got some prestige television like pedigree to his name. But he again, like, it did always feel even when you got down to everyone else. Like I think like yeah, Kristen Ritter felt like a little bit bigger than Charlie Cox did at that point. And you maybe were that's because. Bad. <laughs> you were on Breaking Bad. You've led like multiple comedy TV shows. Like you, you, this feels like a minting for you. Whereas Charlie Cox is like, oh, interesting. I wonder who everyone else is going to be on that show to kind of support you. And it, it does feel like the money they got went to D'Onofrio on on that show in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, he he is really good in that role. I'm so happy to have him back. I still have not watched season three of Daredevil. It is on my list. I will endeavor to get to it before he he shows up in the Echo Daredevil Born Again duology, but obviously I've got yeah. a lot more time until we get to get maybe, to both of those. Maybe we'll do some Daredevil mini episodes, like bonus episodes for the show Yeah, or I mean, because that one now does feel like it's the most canon, and obviously we're now yeah. in this kind of weird point where, like, anytime anyone sees Christian Ritter or Mike Coulter, uh, they're like, ooh, are these two coming back? And well, like, wasn't the even... strong rumour that, that Jessica Jones was supposed to be in this instead of Daredevil? Or maybe that was all just entirely fictional and fans getting carried away I, with themselves? I mean, there's so many rumours floating around of like who's going to come back at what point, and they're saying that, like, ooh, Kristen Ritter was seen on the set of Echo, and they're going to get like mm. a lot of people back for that one. And I'm kind and of I... of the opinion, what are you hurting if you just say they're all them? Like... Are you going to go out and find a better Luke Cage than Mike Coulter? Like, you probably could, but, like, I'd, for anything that went wrong with season two, like, still a decent show in season one, and, like, Charlie Cox Daredevil, like, if you're willing to bring Charlie Cox back as you're, like, the biggest character of that foursome, or fivesome, I guess, and, like, everyone loved John Bernthal as Punisher, and, like, he's probably famous enough for them to keep him will they have a guy who kills cops in a Disney show? Who knows? And it's sort it of like... It's more like, if they want to do Electra again, will they bother with Elder Young? Sure. Like, like that's kind of like where, I, I, where I'm like... I, I think... thought she was fine. I mean, she's not as, like... Like, Electra can be so fun. And, like, I think they really... Like, in recent Daredevil comics, the ones by uh, Chip Zdarsky, that in many ways feel like a season four of, of the Netflix show. Like, there's so much stuff that is subtly, like adjusted to kind of fit in with that they deploy a costume redesign for Electra that is kind of like 
half Daredevil, half Elektra sort of Lady Ninja thing, and it's fucking dope. And like, I would love yeah. to see it in live action. But like, if you recast Elektra but keep everything else as soft canon, that's a bit weird. And yeah, I, I, I feel like Cox <laughs> and D'Onofrio were the only two kind of like if they're going to keep anyone those two are like 1a 1b and then the second tier is like do they keep Britta do they keep Coulter do they keep Deborah Amwald do they keep Eldon Hansen do they keep Burnful Um, Uh, I mean obviously and we obviously want Henrik to come back but we'll see whether or not Henrik comes back I just think look you can make Iron Fist doesn't have to matter and I think you could probably fix Iron Fist if you really put the work into it I don't think he's atrocious um, the, yeah, the general is... white guy who does Kung Fu is a problem but like that's always the character anyway um, but it I is hope interesting that... that both the appearances of the Netflix actors so far have been quite radical departures while still staying true to comic book roots but different comic book roots in that yeah, yeah this 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 daredevil is in the the golden red costume and you've got kingpin in the hawaiian shirt in hawkeye and i think echo <laughs> and daredevil born again are going to be the big tests in terms of like how much are they taking from the tone and the can- canonicity of of the netflix shows because obviously well, yeah. they're on disney plus now but they're not in the the mcu bracket so yeah. it's just gonna be intriguing what they've decided matters and what doesn't yeah like they've not actually really confirmed any plot details whatsoever oh like they have not referenced anything that happens in those shows other than like we are the same actors and like we're giving roughly the same performance but yeah obviously marvel want to differentiate them a bit like this is our take on it here's our more comic faithful you know here's a deep cut cost costume like kingpin's more than like that's from one one specific story yeah i mean he's he's a ton of fun here i i think they've said he's not gonna be like full-on comedic boy in in born again but like i do hope they keep an element of the levity at least but yeah yeah yeah, tons and tons of fun it's a shame that he kind of overshadows the show and in a world where the show itself is better week to week it becomes less of a but when's daredevil showing up and like, yeah, and, and it, it's kind of my argument for why we wouldn't give him or Marvel. No. Like, it's because I don't want to reward the show for doing the thing that hurts the show mm-hmm. all in all. And it's like kind of my argument against kind of like everyone where I texted you my like, here are my five names or my four names or whatever it was that I think are actually in contention for a Marvel for the show. For a show which I think doesn't fully coalesce into what it needs to be i think the performances are not the reason why it doesn't coalesce into it it's it's similar to moon knight except i think the performances in this are a lot more successful where i've got like on my short list like tatiana maslani i've got benedict wong i've got charlie cox and i've got patty guggenheim i like Mm -hmm. i feel like those are the performances that kind of like really sync up with what this show should and could have been for me like I, you know, Wong is fun, but I'm kind of over Wong a little, like it's been one too many a little bit for me. Um, it, it's wearing out its welcome just a smidge. I'm super happy for Benedict Wong, the human being, um, deserves the world, very nice man, waited a I... long time to become mainstream famous. I just like because obviously there's only three actors who are in both like Endgame and No Way Home. But I'm really <laughs> fascinated by what their like <laughs> what their residual paychecks are for those because yeah. boy are they they must be rich at this point. Yeah, and like with with um, with Madison the character, it just smacks of something Marvel didn't realize they'd done well and then are going to ruin it by bringing her back. And making her much worse next time, and I kind of don't want to reward them for that preemptively. 
I know, but my my thing is is like we don't know when season two of this show yeah. is ever going to happen. Like if they are saying Tatiana Maslany, you have now been like you are the one actor from these TV shows who gets to go to the Avengers. Like we're not mm-hmm. doing Moon Knight in the Avengers. We're not doing Miss Marvel in the Avengers. Yeah. It is you are the only one who has led one of these shows who mm-hmm. will be on the team going forward as we head into Avengers five and six. Does like putting when, her in movies preclude her from having more TV? Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Does she have the time to do this? It's definitely the show they've done so far that I am most fascinated to see what season two even is. Like, when you look at Loki, like, Loki feels like a fairly standard kind of prestige TV setup for season two, whereas She-Hulk feels like this has got the best setup to be a traditional show, like, network, case yeah. of the week kind of thing. And, like, the fact that they haven't announced it, but they announced Loki season two is is kind of baffling to me. Like, I understand in broad strokes, like, why you haven't announced Moon Knight season two, why you haven't announced Miss Marvel season two. But this really does feel like you should have come in at the end and gone, like, She-Hulk season two coming next year, or coming yeah. 2025 or whatever. Yeah. Like, and you almost wonder, if this had been set up at ABC, and, like, they then just put it all on Disney Plus as well, like... Would this have been a better show if it had to like answer to a network rather than? You know, it has less money, so I don't think. Sure. You definitely don't get as much She-Hulk. Sure. If it's on ABC, but maybe Marvel go like, actually, this is part of the MCU. We're going to air it on, going to air them simultaneously, where it will be yeah. on Disney Plus on a Wednesday, but it will also air at like eight thirty after. I don't even know what sitcoms they've got at the moment. I think it's Abbott <laughs> Elementary, like on ABC. Know. Yeah, what if you air Albert Elementary and She-Hulk as like a block yeah. and like you get away with that, but it's also on Disney Plus at the same time. It's like cool, yeah. kind of radical, cool idea that you could do in this streaming service <laughs> world and all the rest of it, where he gets the funding of a Disney Plus show, but you're airing it and couching it against yeah. a traditional sitcom yeah. in that way. Uh, but, best of both worlds. Yeah, and like, do you just make the show you claim you've been all along now? You've got this like giant meta gag out of the way, and like you know we haven't even talked about like the whole she talks to the fucking robot that writes the MCU um, thing. I don't necessarily think we need to, but... Um... I think I think it, it all kind of comes into the Tatiana discussion, which I think yeah. is kind of like the thing that yeah. drives <laughs> the all-Marvel thing, is like, does Tatiana deserve all-Marvel for this? For me, and... she's straight on. I know it's a tougher sell for you. Um, I just think she's yet another one of these that they've they've brought on who will wear all the hats and captain you know she will rudder a ship that is in some very choppy waters like even when this show is bad i think she is still good and i think you're a little bit lower on the moments when the show is bad like you you are less of the opinion she's still good the thing is, I think uh, having done like rewatched all of Moon Knight, rewatched all of Miss Marvel, and rewatched all of this in quite close succession, so that's like a, a lot of MCU content that I've absorbed in this very mm-hmm. early portion of the year. And I think I'm coming round to Tatiana being like a slam dunk on the list because I'm like, I do not think any fault with this show lies on her. No, and. I think that when she, she is given more good material more often than Oscar Isaac is in Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah. um, where like Oscar Isaac feels like, again, he is dragging a show into mediocrity, whereas Tatiana Maslany feels like she is yeah. effortlessly kind of like bringing the show into like what it needs to be, yeah. even if the show doesn't know what it needs to be at any given moment. Like yeah. she, is, uh, she is willing to do the superhero bullshit in episode one. She is so up for the, the meta stuff in episode nine. Like her... Mm-hmm. 
the the the, the kind of like the tongue in mouth <laughs> smile up. that yeah, she yeah. gives <laughs> when she asks when the X Men are coming is great. The yeah. her asking when she's going to get to be in the movies and like her elation at that before Kevin like completely deflates her is like it's fun. She is perfectly pitched as yeah. this character. It's just the materials is letting her down, but she isn't letting that get in the way of her performance. And yeah, I I think like we've got coming into this, like we we have basically we've we put Aman straight on and like, you know, Aman is the biggest slam dunk straight on there that we've had in a really long time. We haven't given anything to anybody else, including this project, this episode, however you want to classify how we, we do these picks. We have four. I just think we can't keep maybeing people, and for me, she deserves to be on there. And like, you know, if we get into a tricky spot at the end, I'd be willing to argue her back off. But like, for me, like this group they're building, like, and she's another one, and like she's a pro. Like, she led many seasons of a TV show that at one point was allegedly good, and then allegedly really bad. I've never seen it, but some people oh, really you, like Orphan you Black. Should watch Orphan Black season one at the very okay. least. Orphan Black season one is a and and again, it's it's kind of hard because like she is so good in that season of television. Obviously, she yeah, like she on Orphan Black, she kind of like was this surprise breakout star, and then I think a couple of seasons in the Emmy catches on, and she wins the Emmy for lead actress. But I think it's kind of after most people are kind of like jumped off the show. But she one hundred percent deserved it. She is giving so many performances in that show, and in this, she is kind of not asked to do as much range, but is still being asked to do give a lot of hats, and so yeah. No, this isn't as good as as her role in Orphan Black, but like this is a really good charismatic performance, and I feel like we give her her now, and then hopefully when we get to uh, <laughs> Captain America Four or Avengers Five or Avengers Six or whatever it is, she gets to have like something good and meaty, and gets to like argue her way into it for that. So like we get to do a, a yeah. maybe a more wholly successful project, and we're as... still unsure what happens when we get to second seasons of television like are you getting it for like is a season like a movie like is it a sequel or is it like the whole show is the whole performance like we'll see but this hasn't really come up either but like and a big talking point going in is the cgi and she hole looks like shit and then like i think there are definitely a lot of moments where it does like anything where she's in her law office or a courtroom i think looks bad and that's kind of a problem when that's where she works clearly different companies are doing different scenes and i think there are definitely some that look really good like i think she looks great at the wedding okay, when she's right. fighting demons I... with wong and stuff like that the thing i hate most about the wedding and uh-huh. i think it's like a choice on itself is I hate the pink dress that Jen is given, and sure. then the pink dress on how she helped with this. No, I'm talking about the blue when she first her. shows up no, in the blue. I know. Like, I'm just yeah, like she at times she just looks like a giant lady painted green, and I think that's what you're aiming for when you're doing CGI. And obviously, the answer is why don't you just paint a giant lady green? But you know, I think even that CGI, you know, Maslany is, is you know whatever degree of, of like facial capture and performance capture they actually do versus just trying to model it to look like her. Like I'm no insider, but I hear that most mocap actually gets thrown away <laughs> and they just make it from scratch and just look at it to compare. Yeah. I know. I mean, I know that was definitely the case with like, uh, Andy circus with the Lord of the Rings movies. Cause like yeah. you think about like where we're at now with, with mocap and if they're still doing it now, then you're like, yeah, there's no way they took the performance that Andy yeah, circus yeah, was giving yeah. on stage or on the, on the set. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, but, I think the, the show looks at its worst in stuff like 
when Hulk and She-Hulk are entirely alone in like a barren jungle, like fighting each other. And it's like, oh, this is like entirely in the volume and neither of you are like actually interacting with each other. I feel at this point because you're uh, like, I'd love to see like behind the scene photos of, of Mark Ruffalo and Tatiana Maslany kind of like, like actually interacting in in the suits and stuff like that. But I have Mm. to doubt that they are actually doing that. Yeah, I I don't know. But my, my, my larger point was just going to be that like, there are definitely moments in the show where, like, she is a CGI person and I'm emotionally connecting with the material they're presenting. Like, the retreat works for me when she she hulks up and sits in the chair and does the, like, therapy. And, as I said, some of what they're going for with her, may, you know, being kind of doxxed and revenge-pawned. And, you know, there are just those quieter moments where I'm like, this actually works. And that that's necessary for this to actually be a viable show and i don't think that's the problem like people will just go to the same handful of shots and say look how bad this looks but they always do that they go to that same shot from eternals which is like a half second cut of angelina jolie doing a spin in a scene that actually otherwise looks decent in my opinion (laughs) but people will take a low-res screen grab from a pirated version of it and shove it on twitter and it will go viral and we'll yeah the, the the bigger issues with marvel cg at this point are their tendency to cgi things that should be live action elements like <laughs> why did you not film this on location why did you build a suit in cgi you are just making yeah. more work and more time cost for for special effects artists when they could be making things like she hulk look yeah. better than it does right now yeah. but you're entirely that... yeah like obviously you need to do some cgi if you're going to do she hulk but like you don't need to do much else and like you should be pouring your entire special effects budget into making her look as good as she can look all the time and like clearly they've got like six different effects studios and it's like right you're going to do the courtroom scenes you're going to do the apartment scenes you're going to do this big fight scene we've got and like so they look yeah, we, different we need quality. a spaceship at this point yeah. and we need you to create like kevin out of cgi yeah. it's like yeah. kevin could be done with a model jesus kevin Christ. was originally john ham <laughs> Just oh, John Hamm was going to play Kevin Feige. Um, just more handsome Kevin Feige. That would have been good, in my opinion. But yeah. But then could... are they like, we don't want to waste the, we don't want to waste the John Hamm casting on no, a one episode gag. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so for me, like everything she does with like all the comedy, all the flirting, all the drama, uh, when they actually do it, all of the stuff as She Hulk, like all of the talk, like. They don't do talking to camera enough, but she's good at it. So mm. for me, that like all coalesces into like why a lot of the be best there. moments in the last few episodes are like really good of her talking to the camera. As I said, I'm I'm happy yeah. to give her all Marvel at cool. this point. Yeah. Do yeah. we want to do it to anyone else? For Again, me, we've no. got we've got three picks banked up. <laughs> if you want to let... toss Wong and you want to toss uh, Madison I'm onto not, the ever growing do... maybe pile, for me it's like yeah, they were cute, but like not the best 30, 40, however many it ends up being, Marvel performances cute, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. Maybe they bring Madison back and, like, they build on it and it's even funnier and I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. But for me, it just smacks of something that, like, yeah, that was good, but now we all move on, but they're not going to. They're going to bring her back and it's going to be way more on the nose and bad, but we'll see what happens there. So for me, it's her. I think we're just going to have... Yeah, so that's the... <laughs> is there some sort of argument that, you know, so we put Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe on 
as sort of like legacy picks, as bonus picks, as sort of like thank you for everything you did before the MCU was a thing. Is there an argument to do it for Charlie Cox? <laughs> Maybe, but like I just have to assume between um, Echo and his own fucking show, that dude is going to show up and be really good. I also think how much are we doing it because of the contrast it is to the work that he's doing in Daredevil I do think he's genuinely really charismatic and memorable and contributes to why yeah. kind of episode 8 is as good as it is I like um, him doing his walk I mean, of shame just, just yeah it, it's kind <laughs> of similar to Tim Roth in that I the Tim Roth's performance in this is a hell of a lot better than it is in Incredible Hulk yeah oh and um, I'm pleased for him like you know that that movie is shitty and like a lot of people probably don't even remember him and here he is back doing like a you know, it's kind of low-hanging fruit. I like, look at him, he's a hippy-dippy cult guy. Uh, but I'm pleased for him, and he seems like he's having fun. Um, and he can kind of do it in his sleep. So I'm not willing to, like, go out on the limb and say, yes, you're all Marvel. But, like, I'm pleased he's back. <laughs> but, yeah. So no, do, we, I, do we want a maybe Cox, or do we want to put him on? You can, or chuck him like in, a... you can chuck him in the maybe pile. But for me, I'm not willing to say... You know, I love him. Like, I'm probably... <laughs> I'm an enormous Daredevil fan, so, like... For me to be like, mm, not yet. Like, I just assume he will get on for Daredevil. And possibly Echo. I don't know. But, you know, we have D'Onofrio back. We have Cox back. They both did some good stuff. Cox more than D'Onofrio. But, like, they both have higher gears than that. And I assume if you give them however many ridiculous number of episodes Born Again is allegedly going to be, plus Echo, they will do something very good. <laughs> yeah, like, you have to imagine if Echo is delayed the same year as Daredevil, that's 24 episodes of Charlie Cox God. and Vincent D'Onofrio in one year. <laughs> like, it's a full season of actual television being produced. This is, this is the year <laughs> the year of Daredevil. Um, and then just shove him in a movie cameo just to really cap it off. So I'm, I'm, I'm real happy Tatiana's on. Um, as we shift into assessing the villain, we kind of did it earlier, but, like, just to, you know, bring it back around, like, I feel they really set Jamila Jamil up to fail as Titania. I get what they were going for, and I think she was a good choice, but they hamstrung her. I think the intelligentsia stuff, like, good riff on on what they were, you know, smart, but, like, kind of nothing. Um, you've got the Wrecking Crew, who are, like, there, and then nothing. You, you've got Hulk King. <sighs> so it's, like, just it's, a it's... whole... And, like, this isn't really a show where I want there to be a big sexy villain, to be honest. No, but it feels like they've got about 17 half-developed villains. Yeah. Like, why is it that, Why does Josh not come back? Mm. Is another baffling yeah. thing. Like, like, Explain yourself, boy. <laughs> yeah, like, like a, a incredibly gross like violation of her privacy and that character just disappears and gets no comeuppance because it's all yeah. factored in by, by Phelps and Hulking yeah. or whatever. And like and, I, I could get behind an angle where a message board full of incels are just like ruining her life and setting up all these things, but like they didn't even like they don't even show up until episode five and like uh Titania is and again, in one and then gone again until five and six and then gone again until the end and doesn't quite get like again I could get behind a world where she is like I am a super villain and everyone else is like no you're not and like she just keeps yeah. trying to fight Jen and Jen, Jen just beats her and that's that but like if she's like just... Team Rocket <laughs> exactly yeah like, exactly. like it feels like that's what Titania needed to be and yeah. instead as you say like she just disappears for a while and like having Phelps be hulking as I said earlier like yeah. it feels like you should be someone with a more close yeah. connection to Jen to kind of make it work and it's just yeah, there probably. isn't really a villain of this like you can chuck 
if you want, you can chuck Abomination or Blonsky onto the list of villains. But like, I kept this putting them like... on and then being like, but is he though? Because <laughs> I do villain. You know, I talk about the villains every episode on Marvel Mondays on IntoTheRealWorld.com, and I I was putting him in there just lazily because he's historically a villain, and like the trailers showed that he was going to be part of some, like, he was going to have all these followers and he, he's lying about not turning into blunt, uh, into Abomination anymore. But, like, even to the end... like And, like, the whole bit where they build to this dumbass fight where, like, Hulk bursts through the ceiling and his Titania back and, and everything and then they scrap it and skip ahead. It's like, did that happen? Like, kind of, yeah. Because back he goes to prison and, like... So, like, for me, I would have preferred, like just villains of the week without a big overarching one and like i guess their like commitment to that marvelification joke means they have to sort of tease bigger villains and i just sort of hope they get away from that and like you can have a season-long villain but i don't want it to be like <sighs> i don't know i want them to be kind of like uh, yeah either, either the season-long villain needs to be comedic or it needs yeah. to be someone with more of a connection to her like a rival lawyer Kevin... or something is Kevin a villain? Yes. Do we put Kevin in the villain? <laughs> is Marvel itself the villain? Yes, probably. Yeah, and this isn't like really for anything. It's just the talking points for years are like Marvel are bad at villains kind of thing. So I think we just like to zero in on that. But yeah, um, I think I, I think it does. It is a weakness though, where it's like yeah. you, in something where we should have been able to come away and go like, "There's no villain really. Mm-hmm. It's a happy-go-lucky time, whatever." And we kind of come with a shrug on this, and it's like, boy, yeah. like this should have been fairly easy for you guys to do. You exactly. didn't have to do like a high stakes villain or anything like that, mm. and still you whiffed not doing a high yeah. stakes villain. Normally, their problem is they just don't have the screen time to to make their villains feel like any like that's the problem with Gore. Like you can see him once every ten minutes, and he'll be fine. But he is not a character that actually intersects with anyone else. And you mentioned Josh. Like I just want to say again, like the retreat. I think just purely from a television production standpoint, that episode to me is wholly more successful than the rest. Like that opening montage where she's like dating him and then sleeps with him and then he doesn't call back. Like I think that is better produced TV than most of what they did before that. Um, yeah, I, I I think we should give a shout out to uh, Anna, uh, Anu Valia, who directed kind of episode five, six and seven. So two mm-hmm. of the worst received episodes of the season, but then like what is probably the most wholly successful episode of the season, uh, written by Zeb Wells, who's well known yeah. for comic books and whatnot, who we all thought was going to be writing the Daredevil episode, <laughs> but then is not. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh look, they got the comic writer, they're going to give him the, the, yeah. the Daredevil episode. I just um, thought it worked. Kept, kept, really well like bringing in these like really niche marvel characters and like making it self-contained like by the end she drives off feeling kind of affirmed about the whole situation and they're doing cutesy TV but then we get stuff. the slam cut to the slam cut to like three days earlier and you find out just how gross the the violation that josh was it, like again yeah. Yeah, it feels really nice yeah, like, episode seven, the things in this season make me confident in that season two could fix its bugs. Mm-hmm. The the issue with it is the MCU stuff, which they acknowledge but don't overcome. And yeah. I think that's... If this was a show that managed to overcome the MCU-ness of, of all the stuff going on, then I think we'd be a lot more positive on it. Yeah. But it feels like it's, it's reaching for something and not quite getting there. My biggest fear is they're going to try and top the Kevin thing and, like, just go so far up their own ass trying to one-up it that it just makes it even worse. And I'd, I'd like them to be like, right, you got that out of your system, now make the show you'd like to make. We'll see what happens. So that's She-Hulk. There's just so much going on. I, again, I'm ecstatic the character has arrived. Love the casting. 
excited to see what a season two would look like excited to see how she translates to film but not yeah i just i just can't be excited about the final product like i've got this yeah. lower than like all the other shows apart from moon knight and and falcon and winter soldier really like yeah. every other one i think is m- more successful at doing what it needs to do but i'm more confident that like a few tweaks could make this into a great television yeah. show if given more time and it's reductive to lump all the female characters together because that's kind of what the criticism is where it's like oh what's the through line of all these things you say you hate but it is a real shame that so many of the female-led projects are so compromised but cast such good actors in them it would be nice if they could snap out of that and have something female-driven that is just unapologetically great. And like, I know for a lot of people that's one division, but I know. But you look at who we've given all Marvel to in mm. Phase Four. It's Catherine Hahn. It's Elizabeth <laughs> Olsen. It's Sofia De Martino. It's Florence Pugh. It's Haley Steinfeld. It's yeah. Amanda Valani and it's Tatiana Maslany. Like, oh, absolutely, boy. yeah. The, they're, they're nailing the casting, and like, you know, the ladies are here showing up and, and doing great work. It's just so many of these projects are shaky at best. It doesn't help the narrative. Which is, you know, fake and shouldn't be engaged with anyway. But, like, the rise of these female characters is coinciding with Marvel also getting a bit worse. And again, not their fault. And they're like, the best thing that they have going is all of these female characters and, and the actresses that play them. But Yeah, the, mis- the misogyny sucks. Yeah. And <laughs> I wish there was, I wish that we could combat the misogyny with the quality of the products is. Yeah is good (laughs) like what if we'd gotten like a thor 4 with jane as the lead and thor as a support that was like unironically just fucking rips and everyone's saying oh wow like that would be nice (laughs) we could maybe have natalie portman as an avenger or some shit like that but we're not so although you know maybe she's valkyrie now who knows that was last week uh this was this week and next week we'll be talking marvel's first foray into what they are calling specials with Werewolf by Night, the worst kept secret in Hollywood for like a year, like <laughs> articles saying, yeah, this is coming out on Halloween and like no official announcement until like three weeks before it dropped kind of thing. So we'll delve into that as a new thing. I'm excited because it's nice and short. And <laughs> after having short. done like multiple two hour movies and multiple <laughs> six hour, five hour, whatever, like TV seasons, I'm excited to throw something on and be done with it within about 40 minutes. I'm sure we'll have a one and a half hour record that ends up as an hour and 15 minute episode anyway, somehow. But yes, it is a like 35, 40 minute breezy in and out self contained thing. And we'll get to why that's a good thing <laughs> next week. But for now, thank you everyone for listening to our episode on She Hulk. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Matt. And as always, Excelsior. Excelsior.